pray. Abba, Father, we thank you for giving us yet one more Shabbat. Thank you for your kindness and mercy. Thank you for the beat of our hearts and the air in our lungs. I ask you to please uh, be with us today. That the, this study be edifying to your kingdom. And that uh, be received with uh, the ears to hear and with humble hearts. I thank you for all the wonderful things that you do for us. Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's, um, is this, this very loud? Is this too loud? No? Good to go? All right, so Genesis 9. Uh, we'll, uh, I'll start by reading a, uh, about a paragraph or so, and then we'll stop and talk about it, discuss it a little, and then uh, if you have any questions or you want to, there's something you'd like to input, please uh, feel free to raise your hand, and uh, we'll do it in an orderly manner, and everything will be good to go. All right, so Genesis 9 begins with uh, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will be upon every wild animal, every bird in the air, every creature populating the ground, and all the fish in the sea. They have been handed over to you. Every moving thing that lives will be food for you. Just as I gave you green plants before, so now I give you everything. Only flesh with its life, which is in its blood, you are not to eat. I will certainly demand an accounting for the blood of your lives. I will demand, demand it from every animal and from every human being. I will demand from every human being an accounting for the life of his fellow human being. Whoever sheds human blood by a man, a, by a human being, will his blood be shed. For God made human, human beings in his image. So, we'll stop there. Um, interesting, right? The uh, Genesis 9 begins with the, the exact same commandment that God gave Adam and Eve, or Adam, in Genesis 128 saying, be fruitful, multiply, right? Uh, so, if you think about it, it's kind of uh, God indicating uh, Noah's family, Noah and his family, I guess, becoming the new Adam. Their job is to repopulate the earth, uh, repopulate creation again. But of course, he is in a, at a slight disadvantage, right? Noah was created into a perfect world, sinless. Uh, Noah, on the other hand, um, was born to a sinful nature, fallen world. Uh, you, uh, I see you over there. Uh, I, did I say, did I say Noah the first time? No, I said Adam? Yes. Okay, oh, I'm sorry, yes. Uh, thank you. Yeah, give me the little hints every once in a while. Give me straight. Yeah, so Adam versus Noah, right? Uh, so Noah gets the same task. So now, uh, if you think about it, yeah, like we said, uh, Noah is probably the new Adam. So just like we are descendants of Adam, now we are descendants of Noah. Um, but... Um, the contrast there, uh, Gabe and I were having a, a conversation a while back about just that, that 
what made um, God accredit Noah with uh, righteousness, right? God said the only man in the, uh, in the Torah to be, uh, to be called a tzaddik, right? To, to be called um, a just man, a righteous man. Um, we, um, well, we, were ju- we were discussing, we were talking about it. We were like, you know what? Noah was probably just a regular guy who just got up, went to work, took care of his family, prayed, and did the things that he was supposed to do. The whole world around him is falling apart. Uh, and God chose him and his family to repopulate the earth. So that's one of those things that um, uh, I was yet having another conversation with another person asking me, uh, why do we have to follow Torah? And I mean, that, that's a legitimate question, right? I mean, if you're not familiar with it, you're like, okay, why do we have to? And I, uh, my answer was, I mean, kind of shocking. I guess I said, we don't have to. I mean, God gave us free will, right? Uh, and, and we don't have to. I mean, having to is uh, trying to achieve righteousness through works, right? We, we are uh, a set-apart people. We, we're commanded to be set-apart. And because of that, we get to follow the instructions which God gave us to be a set-apart people. Uh, we obey, and hopefully, by trusting and obeying, we can be accredited with righteousness, just like Noah was, rather than trying to achieve righteousness through works. I mean, if that does that make any sense? Yeah. Um, so that's that's one of those things that I I was discussing. Uh, that person that um, I mean it is as simple as uh, Yeshua said in John 14 if you love me keep my commandments I mean it's as simple as that right Amen. Uh, so uh, the second statement there uh, in Genesis 9-1 says be fruitful multiply and fill the earth Simple enough, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that is probably one of the most controversial uh, subjects from two different points of view, right? There are two kinds of people, those who worship the Creator and those who worship creation. Well, as we push away from God and we become more secular, uh, that statement becomes problematic. Because now we start looking at it as uh, uh, not so much as a commandment or, or, or as a command to, to have children, but uh, we start looking at it as a, what do they call it, population control issue. And that's, uh, you would be surprised how many very, very influential people, maybe you are not, maybe you are completely informed of this, but yeah, so many influential people are have spent billions of dollars in resources trying to counter that very thing, right? Um, 
So, uh, there are many people who believe that um, population without checks and balances will eventually turn catastrophic and will eventually grow to the point where there are not enough resources for everyone here on earth and we'll experience a famine and then we will cease to exist, right? That's their way of looking at it. Um, what do you think the population is of the earth right now? Yeah, almost 8 billion. 7.888 to be exact. Right? Uh, yeah, so is that a problem? No? You can still fit them all in Texas. That's right. Good job. Oh, man. Yeah, so no kidding. You could fit them all in a volume in the landmass the size of Texas. So, who can you fit all in there? All, right? If we were a family with, uh, are you guys familiar with the 2.1 child rule? Yeah, okay. So if we had a, you know, everybody had a family and they had 2.1 children and they had a house and a yard and a pet, all of that would fit in a landmass about the size of Texas. And then the rest will be left for agriculture. I mean, really, I mean, it's that simple. Now, of course, that's not taking roads into account and lakes and mountains and, you know, anything. It should be a, a flat mass, kind of like Kansas, I guess. So we could say like three Kansases in the state, right? Uh, but uh, so uh, the problem comes when people start looking at the end of this century and they forecast population to grow to about 9.1-ish to about 10 billion people. And they, again, the same argument comes, right? We will not have enough food uh, to sustain that. So therefore, we will experience famine and we will all cease to exist. Uh, believers believe that that, well, I hope that most believers think that that is just, you know, nonsense, right? Yeah. Um, but everyone else does not. Everyone else is convinced that this is actually a problem that must be addressed. Uh, and because of that, all those resources that we talked about are being put forth to try to counter that problem, that future problem, as they call it, right? Uh, so debunking the, uh, as they call it, the overpopulation myth, which is just that, a myth, right? Um, let's use modern economics, right? So they say that in order for a population to grow and have a healthy workforce, you need about 2.1 children per every two, uh, per every man and a woman being married, right? And that is just solely uh, a stable, normal rate of growth not taking into account wars, famine, earthquakes, natural disasters, you know, and, and all these other things that happen, right? Uh, none of that is taken into, into account. Not only that, but like I was telling you, as we start um, becoming more secular, we start looking into the examples 
that, that we are given, of course, by the never-ending broadcasting on the TV that says, hey, look at this city. Look at the long lines at the coffee shop. Look at all those crowded, you know, you go, everybody always, when they're trying to make a point on overpopulation, they always see the, the same street in New York City with all those people just shoulder to shoulder, just like, you know, going back and forth and stuff. You know, it's probably like during a festival or, you know, or a holiday. But it, it always, uh, they always show that exact same picture, right? That people are convinced of this. It's like, oh, yeah, we maybe we are overpopulated, right? Uh, cities, it's not an overpopulation problem. What do you, what do you call it? Um, overcrowding problem? Yeah. So this, these are a bunch of people voluntarily coming together into this tiny little space and living in very confined quarters. You go, you know, even in places like Kampala, you go about two miles out of the city and it's just like nothing but farm, farmland, very fertile farmland that could sustain so many more people. But those, these people are confined to this little tiny space and then they, yes, start becoming very overcrowded and that starts becoming a, a huge problem for resources. But that is not an overpopulation problem. And that's one of the things that, that we need to discern as we see all these images on, on TV, that that is definitely not, um, uh, not that that is just solely an image that they're trying to sell to you so that you can buy into their agenda that they are um, putting into effect now in places like Africa, where they, um, some very wealthy foundations, actually very wealthy American foundations, are spending billions of dollars uh, sterilizing women, men, uh, promoting contraceptives, uh, even to the point of uh, promoting genocide. Uh, needless to say, we're also doing the same thing here in the U.S. with the uh, slide that we saw here a couple weeks ago. Over 63 million babies murdered in their mother's womb before they are born. I mean, that's, that's genocide. But that, that again, another, another agenda that was pushed because overpopulation, right? That, all of that is, I'm telling you all of this just so that you as believers understand that God is in control. And all of these things that all these very evil people are doing, all these very, very dark things that are happening, just man trying to counter the commands that God gave us. Uh, he knew what he was doing when he gave us that command. And as the population grows to about 10, uh, 10 billion, everybody agrees. Even the most secular and the most atheist of economists uh, believe that um, after the 10 billion mark, the population will start declining again. So, you know, we, a billion will be born and a billion will die. And they will, here in about 175 years from that point, we will be right back to 7.88 billion people. It's just uh, by design that it is supposed to be that way. But these people will have you believe that... Uh, we have a problem, right? You see all these uh, starving 
children you know, on TV and this mother's with 12 children they can't feed and everything. And they say, oh, that's because you see we're running out of food, right? Um, it was actually the, the UN who actually conducted a study and deducted that we are producing enough food right now just in the U.S. alone to feed 1.5% uh, or one, uh, 150% of the population that we have right now. So in other words, another, 0.5, uh, another 50% more we can feed them with just the stuff that we grow here in the U.S. Um, but so many people have actually bought into that. 21 countries in this world right now are experiencing negative birth rates because they have bought into that. In, in, how do people buy into it? There are three factors. Uh, as you, uh, you become more urbanized, grow, uh, the very first thing that goes is having children. As women become more educated and become more um, career-oriented, they, again, stop having children. And then as people become less, um, well, I guess I'm going to call it religious. So as they become more secular, they start, again, looking at other alternatives rather than being fruitful and multiplying. That's um, one of those very... Um, actually, scary statistics, if you think about it, South Korea and Germany, Japan is the other one. I think they are uh, in such a rapid decline where they believe that probably in about 10 or 15 years, they should see a drastic decrease in their workforce. I'm talking about young people because not enough people are being born. So everyone's going to, will be old and there'll just may not be enough people to support all those pensions. And the young people that would have been there, that should have been born, will not be there to, to support the workforce. And that is the evil agenda that I want you to be aware of. Um, but um, yeah, so don't let all this very uh, seemingly smart people tell you that, you know, that, we need to tailor the population, right? Uh, all of this, sadly, I mean, it's, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, this started back in 1798 with um, Thomas Malthus, right? The, uh, the self-proclaimed mathematician from uh, England who pretty much said the same thing, right? Uh, he says, oh, by the 1800s, we, we would have, we will grow to the point where we will run out of food and then... Uh, Famine, mass, um, mass deaths all over the world, and then we will experience, will soon be, you know, cease to exist. And then, of course, you know, the 1800s came and went and didn't happen. So then uh, that was debunked and, and, you know, didn't hold any water. But somehow, all these very secular people took hold of that and they said, you know what? Maybe he had a point. All the way until the 1960s where um, Erklich, um what's his name, Paul Erklich, uh from, um, uh, what's his, um, anyway, one of the Ivy League universities, he actually 
said the same thing. He said, oh, hey, by the 19, by the, uh, by 1980, we should be running out of food. And, um, and that was around the time when all of a sudden abortion just started just ramping up, right, out of control, and then subsidized by the, by the government. And all these other, you know, all these other birth control things started happening. And then the 1980s came and nothing happened. Actually, uh, we became the Saudi Arabia of grain production in the world to the point where now farmers are being paid not to grow, not to grow food. That's how much food we have. So it's not a food problem either. It's, uh, uh, it's corruption. It's evil people doing what evil people do best. Uh, it's wars. It, it, it's, um, uh, if you want to uh, look at a good example, it's not, not biblical, of course, but it's just a, um, a world event, Somalia, Mogadishu, Somalia, back in 1994. We were sending tons and tons of, of uh, beans and rice and grain over there, and none of it was getting to the people who needed it, and the warlords were just taking it all and hoarding it. So that's, that's what's happening, right? So, so population control is never the issue. I mean, if you, if you have 100, 100 starving people and you kill 75 of them, the other 25 will be just as hungry. I mean, it doesn't, it's not solving that issue of corruption, of evil, of wars. Um, so that's one of those things that, um, that we need to be very aware of when, whenever our children are growing and they start seeing all of these things on TV saying, hey, uh, if you have children, you're not a responsible adult. If you uh, try to plan for only one child, right? Like China with the one child policy. Well, now they're experiencing a mass reduction in the workforce and now they're like, oh no, what have we done? And now they're realizing it, that that was a terrible idea. But that is just people meddling with things that they should never meddle with. And, um, uh, it, 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 they will one day be accountable for all, all they have done and all the genocide that they, they have orchestrated. Uh, you can count on that, that there is a creator who's keeping track of all of this. Uh, so we do our part by staying close to Scripture, obeying His commands, and they will continue to try to do what they do and pay no mind to them. Teach your children not to listen to those people. They have no idea what they're talking about. Um, so, well, that was uh, nine, uh, Genesis 9-1. All right. Oh yeah, we're uh, hope you guys packed the lunch. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's it's not gonna it's it, it's not that much longer ever. So so God said, uh, only flesh with its life, which is in the blood, you are not to eat. Uh, but we see, of course, you know, like the. Uh, 
one of the uh, South Dakota Czech festivals, that was like a blood sausage was actually a, a very popular thing there. Remember that? Yeah. So that was, uh, yeah, that was a, a really popular thing there. I mean, it, it is still extremely popular, which is, um, you know, it's not even tasty, so I have no idea why in the world would somebody, you know, um, do such a thing other than just plain old rebellion. Um, but understanding that God gave us, uh, he's, it says every animal, but of course it doesn't, it doesn't fit with what every, you know, um, what he's saying, you know, here. Uh, he's not saying every animal. So he's, uh, since the very beginning, right, since uh, Genesis 4, he's making a distinction between clean and unclean. Uh, things that you can offer as sacrifice and things that you can't. Uh, things that you, you are to bring in the ark uh, by twos, which have their special purpose, and then clean animals, you know, bring seven of those, right? Uh, so, so, that, so, uh, so there is a distinction, and that's where one must use discernment, right? But, um, but here he gives us a very specific command, right? The, uh, don't eat the blood of the animal. Let it drain. Let it go back to its, to its creator. Uh, what God is telling you is you are entitled to nourishment, but you are not entitled to life. That's the bottom line there. So um, God gives life. God, God takes the life back. We're accountable for every life we take, depending on... Uh, he, he goes into a very detailed way on how it is that you are to kill an animal, to you know, make it kosher, to not make it suffer, right? Suffering, preventing uh, animal suffering is actually a very much emphasized in the Torah, right? Like so many commands. Even uh, when God gives you a day of rest, He also gives the animals a day of rest. Um, that's how much He cares about His little critters, um, as Mr. Howard would put it. But um, yeah, and and then He goes on to saying, "I will certainly demand an accounting for the blood of." your lives. I will demand it from every animal and from every human being. I will demand it from every human being in accounting for the life of his fellow human being. Whoever sheds human blood by a human being, his will his own blood be shed. For God made human beings in his own image. And there is yet another point, right? God made human beings in his own image. So all these people who are promoting all this genocide, who are killing all these babies, uh, they will eventually, God tells you here, that they will be accountable for that. Much like everyone else who, who murders a human being, accountability has to happen. And one of the, um, one of the things that we see here is God, yet again, giving you the command, do not murder, right? This is the, uh, the first time he's counting that your conscience will be enough to, Get you not to murder, right? So he's um, and and during the Cain and Abel, and then after Noah, you know, boarded the ark, uh, you see that you know the world was just going consumed. Hmm. Sorry, got a little cramp. Uh, but but this is something that you will see repeated again, right? In the in 
into Sinai. He will say it again. And this is the one command that it's given in every book of the Torah over and over and over saying, hey, do not murder, do not murder. Hey, you will be accountable for the life of your uh, fellow human being, so don't do it. And then he says something that does not, again, doesn't fit with the secular world, right? The secular world says, oh, we should not take human life, right? The very first thing that, uh, that happens whenever a country becomes secular is they ban capital punishment. Because they believe that every life is precious and you should not take it and stuff. You know, of course, unless you are not born yet, then you have, that's okay to take it. Uh, but that's not what God says here. He says, no, if somebody murders, he must pay with his life, right? And not to criticize Israel, but in the 1950s, when they, uh, when they banned the, um, the capital punishment, they say, you know what? No, we will never take a human life. Human life is too precious. And then it happened, right? Um, Adolf Erdmann uh, happened. And he was tried. And what did he get? The death penalty. And they said, well, that's because he just murdered a bunch of people. So, you know, it's kind of like a stampede, right? What goes this about stampede? You know, three three or more cows? I don't know. You know, same thing, right? They're like, well, if you murder a ton of people, then yes, you might be put to death. But one person, eh, maybe not. You know, I don't know. Uh, Completely contrary to what God says, right? Accountability for a human life because we are created in his image. And because, because of that, he warns you not to do it. Now, there's uh, a difference, of course, because he, see, he sees how serious this commandment is. He, uh, uh, he makes a distinction between an intentional killing of a person and then murder. The unintentional killing of a person because he knows that uh, in the Middle East to this day they, uh, there's a uh, a law of honor out there that says that if somebody kills a person from your family that family has the right to go over there and kill him. So and, and that is still to this day there. So. God understands that, understands that, you know, things are the way they are. So he makes this safe places, right? Uh, cities of, of refuge for somebody who accidentally kills a, a family member. He says, hey, go there. And if, you, if it was legitimately unintentional, then you may live there. And you will be, you'll be okay. But if it was not, then you are to be put to death. So, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's one of those things that, yeah, uh, as we become more secular, we start, the value of human life starts just becoming less and less and less. And then oddly enough, the life of an animal starts becoming more and more and more valuable. It just starts becoming backwards, right? It's just, uh, it's kind of like an insult to the commands of God. Is, uh, in that, and you see it, right? You're like, oh, no, I'm going to be a vegetarian because, you know, killing a poor little animal. But yeah, go ahead and kill a baby. That's okay. And that's, you know, in the most of liberal societies, you see that happening, where it's just like so twisted. Um, 
So, <clears throat> yeah, again, here God says, One second. Sorry. God says, even if an animal kills a person, that animal must be put to death. It is that serious. That's not saying that, you know, an animal has free will, it has accountability. He's just saying, hey, every human is created in my image. And because of that, don't destroy it. Um, but yeah, that's... Uh, so, um, um, let me see. So let's go with um, nine eight. So God spoke to Noah and his sons with him. He said, "And as for me, I am here establishing my covenant with you, with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you." the birds, the livestock, and every wild animal with you, all going out of the ark, every animal on earth, I will establish my covenant with you that never again will all living beings be destroyed by waters of a flood. And there will be never again, and there will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. God added, here's the sign of the covenant I am making between myself and you and every living creature with you for all generations to come. I am putting my rainbow, my rainbow in the cloud. It will be there as a sign of the covenant between myself and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow is seen in the cloud, I will remember my covenant which is between myself and you and every living creature of any kind. And the water will never again become a flood to destroy all living beings. The rainbow will be in the cloud so that when I look at it, I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of any kind on the earth. Wow, talk about a beautiful sign of a covenant between God and his creation. And look at what has happened to it. In this modern age, we look at a rainbow and what do we think? I mean, those people will definitely be accountable for that. Then the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, Yefet, Ham is the father of Canaan. Uh, these three were the sons of Noah, and the whole earth was populated by them. Noah, a farmer, was the first to plant a vineyard. He drank so much of the wine that he got drunk and laid uncovered in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father shamefully exposed, went out and told his brothers, Shem and Yefet, took a cloak, put it over both of their shoulders, and walking backward, went in and covered their naked father. Their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father lying there shamefully exposed. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what, it, what his youngest son had done with him. He said, curse be Canaan. 
he will be a servant of servants to his brother. Then he said, Blessed be Adonai, the God of Shem. Canaan will be his servant. May God enlarge Yefed. He will live in the tents of Shem. But Canaan will be their servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. In all, Noah lived 950 years. Then he died. So, here's one of my my last points. In 350 years after the flood, the only uh, writing that was chronicled here was the incident of Noah being getting drunk. Um, and I, I take it as a warning to all believers, right? And you see it over and over and over, right? Um, uh, you'll see it again in Genesis 19 uh, with uh, Lot and his his daughters. And, you know, look at the book of Esther, you know, just, I mean, so judgment is not, you're not at your best judgment whenever you're drunk. And some of those things that, um, some of the dangers of um, drinking out of control are very much um, laid out here, right? A curse which, you know, has been all in itself perverted by many people to drive many agendas, but uh, telling you, okay, don't, don't drink in excess. That is the, uh, <clears throat> that is the warning there, right? Uh, if you are one of those people that just cannot stop, just stay away from it. Um, it, if, um, it, okay, so let me, let me be clear. It is not forbidden drink, but if you cannot stop, then you probably should stay away from it. If you're one of those all or nothing kind of people, yeah, don't even go near it. Uh, and that is just my advice. It is not a command. But uh, what I'm saying is, there, um, all through the Bible, as you see it, uh, the warning uh, goes on and on and on and on, telling you, hey, this is a bad idea. You know, kings should never, um, should never get drunk because they, you know, they need to be, uh, make good judgment. You know, priests um, should not get drunk, uh, right? When, you're, uh, when you make a, a, a Nazarite vow, you are not even to eat grapes. I mean, that's... Uh, so, so that's one of those things that, that it, um, it tells you there. Just be careful with this stuff, right? It is, um, although not forbidden, um, it is something that could quite possibly ruin your life. And it has many, many, many people. Uh, so as believers, you know, use discernment about that. And that's, that's one of those, uh, I will finish my listen with that. I, I apologize that it's not on a happy ending, on a happy note. But um, any questions, comments? Yes, ma'am. I just have a question. Um, 